Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon and welcome to today's broadcast of Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed. Uh, I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but yes, there has been a name change as we try to rearrange the uh, program schedule here on Black Talk Radio Network um, as we bring aboard more live original programming. Um, I'm going to have to start my program at 4 o'clock. I know it's 435. I apologize for my lateness. Um, had some things I had to get out in the mail and, um, so just a whole lot going on. So tomorrow I will be more prepared to come on at the new time at four o'clock PM Eastern time. And so if I come on at 4 PM, I can no longer call it the live drive at five. So, um, reverting back to, um, the old name of the program, which is Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed. And with the, all that said, I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines where they say liberty and justice for all is just a farce. Don't believe that. All right. And we share news stories and information with you uh, every time we come on this broadcast to uh, undergird that very fact that, you know, for particularly black men like myself, uh, we live behind enemy lines. We live in a war zone. Uh, we're constantly being targeted for the new slave plantations. Uh, the only thing new about them is now, you know, they are called prisons, but they're still plantations. Um, labor is being exploited. Uh, people are being abused. People are being raped. People are being murdered. No different than the so-called old plantations, is it? So, yeah, that is why I opened up the broadcast uh, with that statement. Now, we do have a couple of guests uh, lined up for you today. Um, I have invited on a couple of the Baltimore activists uh, who have been doing a great job in pressing for issues on behalf of the people. Um, of course, uh, Sister Amija Whitlock, uh, she's a member of the Black Talk Radio Network family. Uh, we broadcast last night Political Prisoner Radio, which comes on Sundays uh, at 9 o'clock p.m. But, I mean, she's been a long-time political prisoner and prisoner of war activist um, or advocate. And um, she also does a lot of work in Baltimore as a youth advocate and a human rights activist. So she'll be joining us here uh, at around 5 o'clock. Uh, then we'll also be joined at 530 by Sister Tawanda Jones. She's been on the program before. Um, her brother, uh, Tyrone West, was a victim of law enforcement terrorism 
and um, they killed him. And ever since, she has been a tireless activist, uh, holding demonstration after demonstration, putting pressure on the authorities there in Baltimore, not just Baltimore, but in Maryland as well. And so we wanted to bring them on to get their thoughts on this legislation that uh, Baltimore Mayor Stephanie Rollins Blake is proposing. Uh, she proposed it last week, Monday. I just recently became aware of it in, over the weekend. And she's proposing some new measures that she says are going to help combat police officer misconduct. Um, one of the things that she is proposing is that uh, when a police officer beats up a citizen assaults a citizen that those be upgraded to felonies cause presently they're just misdemeanors. Okay. So they can beat you down, you know, tase you, shoot you all of that. If they are charged more than likely, it's just going to be a misdemeanor. So that is a piece of legislation uh, that she is proposing. She is also uh, proposing legislation to increase oversight of the police department and to implement police body cameras for officers. And so I had done some research and it was like, you know, just last year where her and I should say she and the uh, Baltimore city council, while they agreed on equipping every police officer with a body cam, um, she wanted them to hold off on passing the legislation uh, until she could, I guess, put together her legislative agenda. And so I just want to get, you know, some of the people who are involved in the issues up there in Baltimore to come on and give us uh, their perspective. So we'll be looking forward to um, to those um, to uh, Sister Amija and Sister Tawanda and joining us in, in the next hour. Um, now, some of the other things that caught my eye uh, that I posted for the news today, since I got a late start, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into all of it. But one of the things that caught my eye was uh, Mobile, Alabama, a city council member, a black man. He demanded that this one particular company hire more black people or lose support for renewing city contracts. It has to do with affirmative action. A lot of these government agencies due to racism, white supremacy, um, through due to, you know, discrimination, employment discrimination and, and all of that and white privilege. Um, it has to do with that. And one of the things that I noted that I noticed a long time ago when I used to work for this construction company called, um, what was it? Linda something. Anyway, it was under the name of a white female that's owning the company, but it was actually being run by white males, by her husband, by her brothers and anything like that. And so that is a way that, that white people can practice racism and white supremacy and even get affirmative action contracts for their businesses by setting them up in the names of white females. And so this one particular business in Mobile, Alabama, that's been getting city contracts are, are being told, look, you're either going to hire more black people or you're going to lose my support for renewing your city contract. So I'll talk about that. Um, Zach Brafe, uh, he is one of the stars of the TV series Scrubs, which is a situational comedy sitcom. And he t retweeted a racist photo of new black singer, rapper, and songwriter Pharrell Williams. Um, remember Pharrell Williams gave the Oprah interview and he caught a lot of flack on Twitter uh, for uh, claim proclaiming to be a new black 
and how he doesn't like use racism as an excuse or, or, or anything like that. Well, they tweeted a photo of him. Um, I guess he performed at the Grammys. I don't watch a lot of TV. I especially don't watch a lot of entertainment TV. So I didn't watch the Grammys. So I, you know, was like, you know, people who don't watch the Grammys just looking at the news reports coming out. So anyway, he had on like this bellhop uniform. And so this, I guess this female, um, did a, a Photoshop where she posted him side by side with a flying monkey from the Wizard of Oz, also dressed in a bellhop suit. So I was looking at that and I was like, okay, come on, Pharaoh, you know, what's, what's up with this? You know, what you going to say about this in, in, you know, in the wake of you talking about these new blacks. Now I am one that when I'm wrong about something, I don't have a problem with admitting I'm wrong about something. Uh, I didn't have all the information. I've done further research. And so I'm going to cut Pharaoh some slack because I did some research. And in the course of my research and preparing for that story, Pharaoh is kind of conscious. And Pharaoh uh, actually has been standing up strong um, with his allegiance to the protesters in the street against police violence. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit that perhaps, you know, we weren't understanding where he was coming from. And I found, you know, some commentary about the new black label that he gave after the interview that I didn't know about that kind of gives you some more context. And I'm also reminded by what Malcolm X said about not being too harsh on people and judging people because they don't think how we think or they don't think as fast as we think um, because or they don't know what we know. Uh, because at one point in time, we didn't know what we now know. So, you know, I, I do want to revisit that and uh, cut Pharaoh some slack and say perhaps maybe, you know, he's being misunderstood. And I saw an interview um, with Don Lemon that he gave on Ferguson that I didn't see. Because, again, I don't watch all of this stuff unless I see it on Facebook, unless I see it on Twitter, unless it comes to my uh, um, inbox, my email or somebody sends me the story, I cannot see everything. And so that kind of put it in some more context. But anyway, he was talking to Don Lemon about Ferguson, and it just made me look at the brother in the whole another light. And, you know, I didn't see too many people talking about, you know, that, that interview he gave. And he was like on point, you know, with a lot of his commentary. Some of the stuff I didn't agree with, but, I, you know, I'm going to focus mostly on what I did agree with. And he kind of, you know, it kind of took me by surprise because I thought he was just one of these happy, you know, his song happy and he just happy, you know, to be given the platform by racist white supremacist media. So, but I'm seeing him in a whole different light um, in, 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 um, in the wake of me doing more research. Um, there, I don't know a lot about what's going on in Haiti right now, but apparently there are thousands of people who are in the streets protesting in Haiti and they're being tear gassed, being shot at. Um, so I'll share as much as I can about that. Um, but the first thing I want to jump on before, uh, we get calls in from our guests is Congress is attempting to push the United States into yet another foreign conflict as it has passed legislation to send check this out 350 million dollars in arms to 
Ukraine. Now, y'all know now that the Congress is, is controlled by Republicans, but I'm sure some of those Democrats voted for it too. And, you know, it's like they trying to restart the whole Cold War thing. And so I'm going to play this commentary from President Obama if you give me an opportunity. Again, I'm getting started late and just trying to get on the air. And let me pull up this clip. But President Obama was talking about it um, today. I believe it was either today or it might have been um, in the past couple of days. So let me get that queued up for you. Uh, we continue to encourage a diplomatic resolution to this issue. Uh, and as diplomatic efforts continue this week, uh, we are in absolute agreement that the 21st century uh, cannot uh, stand idle, uh, have us stand idle and, and simply allow the borders of Europe to be redrawn at the barrel of a gun. If, in fact, diplomacy fails, what I've asked my team to do is to look at all options. What other means can we put in place uh, to change Mr. Putin's calculus? Uh, and the possibility of lethal defensive weapons is one of those options that's being examined. But I have not made a decision about that yet. I've consulted with not just uh, Angela, but will be consulting with other allies about this issue. Uh, it's not based on the idea that Ukraine could defeat a Russian army that was determined. Uh, it is rather uh, to, to see whether or not there are additional things we can do to help Ukraine bolster its defenses in the face of separatist aggression. Um, but I want to emphasize that a decision has not yet been made. All right, so um, that was President Obama um, talking about Ukraine. Now, I'm going to reach out to somebody who is more knowledgeable on what's going on in Ukraine, but I do recall reading, you know, it hasn't really been a, in the news a lot, but I do recall um, when it first blew up, what had happened was is that Ukraine had elected a president who was, you know, pro-Russian. You know, he was an ally of, of Russia. Now, he was democratically elected. And so then, if I remember, if I recall correctly, and again, I'm going to try to get on somebody who's more knowledgeable, but if I remember correctly, um, they overthrew his government, forced him out. He was democratically elected. They forced him out. He ended up leaving the country and, and seeking political asylum in Russia. And so then, you know, those people rightly upset that the democratic process had been corrupted by the West, by the United States in this, in this, what you might call a bloodless queue or coop, uh, so to speak. And, um, so they've been kind of like, you know, the ones that were pro-Russian and then the ones who are pro, you know, West, they've been going at it. They've been having little armed skirmishes and things of that nature. And so anyway, though, for President Obama to sit up there now and again, remember, he is he is the black face on white supremacy. His job is to make sure global white supremacy stays in place. His job isn't to help non-white people, although uh, non-white people should be pressuring him just like they pressure anybody else to address uh, issues that are important to us, to address issues of injustice. But, you know, let's make no mistake who he really works for. Okay, he don't really work for us. And so that's why, you know, we like uh, 
what's his name uh frederick douglas said power concedes nothing without a demand and so we have to make our demands known but for him to say you know redrawing borders by the force of arms or at the barrel of a gun that's the united states man and i'm sure he knows that president obama's not a stupid person you know i don't know if he wrote that or or somebody else put the words in his mouth but they came out of his mouth and so you just think about what they did to libya all right, using proxies to overthrow Libya to get rid of Gaddafi so that they could arm those Syrian rebels and also get at that sweet crude oil uh, because Libya has the most prosperous or most productive oil fields in Africa. And Gaddafi was, you know, doing a whole lot of stuff. And, and we got uh, Alex Newman coming back on, I believe it's either Friday or sometime next week. And we're going to talk about that. But yeah, they did that. All right. Uh, they've been using force of arms to using proxies, um, to try to overthrow Syria going all the way back to the Bush administration when he named Syria as the axis of evil. So again, you know, I, I it's like a broken record. I understand I sound like a broken record sometime pointing out the hypocrisy of the United States, but you know, I have to do it. It's my job. It's my job as an independent news producer who looks at these things objectively. And I have to tell the truth. I have to give you my honest critique, my honest analysis. And so those words that just came out of President Obama's mouth, you know, nothing but straight up, uh, propaganda, straight up bs you know and like those people you've oh you've already corrupted the democratic process in their country and now so they're taking up arms they're taking up arms and saying no we're not going to stand for this and uh we want to separate from this puppet regime that the united states and europe has propped up over us and we want to separate from them now you know the um uh international law uh, under the UN um, Declaration of Human Rights, people have a right to self-determination. So if those people have determined that you have corrupted their democratic president, got rid of the president, that, uh, excuse me, process, and got rid of the president that they duly elected, then by any means necessary, they have a right to assert their self-determination but the thing is is here is congress now here's congress you you hear president obama talking about uh um you know we might send them lethal arms because we've been sending them all this money i'm paraphrasing what he said but but we're we have been sending them all of this non-lethal aid i don't know how much money that has amounted to but now congress has already just that quick has passed a bill authorizing over 350 million dollars okay i found the information they've already given the uh ukraine puppet government 120 million dollars in non-lethal aid and you know now they have authorized the republican controlled congress again i'm sure democrats voted it for it too but now the um the congress has authorized let me see if i can find that figure again uh, $350 million. So in total, they have given them what? $500 million? What is that? That's a half a billion dollars, right? That's a half a billion dollars. And where did they get this money from? How are they paying for this? You know, we like, we always hear that rhetoric coming from, uh, Republicans about, you know, uh, when the president proposes, 
um, jobs programs or infrastructure programs and things of that nature. Well, how is he going to pay for it? Well, how the hell is y'all paying for all of these arms that y'all keep sending out? You know, and I'm a, and I'm a write the congressman over my district. Remember, I, I didn't say my congressman because we need to get that out of our head. They don't work for us. They're supposed to work for us, but they don't work for us. So I'm a write the congressman or give his office a call and, uh, over my district and I'm going to say, how y'all paying for this? You know, show me in the budget. Where is this in the budget? Where did you get this half a billion dollars from just to be given away? And, and, and while we on the subject, you know, what about all these billions that you give annually to Israel, Egypt, and everybody else? Why are y'all paying for that? You are mortgaging my grandson's future, you know, and I'm going to see what they got to say. But anytime it's something that's actually going to help some people like a jobs program, like, you know, rebuilding America's infrastructure, all these bridges breaking down and crashing and all of that and killing people. Um, yeah, you oppose to it. You want to know how we going to pay for it. But then you oppose to raising taxes on the wealthiest people. But you keep finding billions and billions of dollars. And whether that's straight up money, whether that's in equipment, whether that's in military weapons, you know, like they passed their special legislation last year to arm the Israelis who were running out of bullets to kill Palestinian men, women, and children. Oh, they came up with some money quick. So where, how are they paying for all of this? And then, you know, they're using all this Cold War language and talking about, you know, we got to send a message to Putin and, and all this. All of this is nothing but theater. This is to keep fun. This is to keep feeding American tax dollars to the military industrial complex. All of those private co- corporations who make these arms. War is profitable, as H. Rap Brown uh, said all those years ago, decades ago. War is profitable. And when has the United States not been engaged in some kind of military conflict, sticking its nose where it doesn't belong, and just wasting all of this money, but yet you ain't got no money to address the needs of all these homeless people in this country, all of these veterans who got messed up, you know, going off to war to carry out the corporate global agenda, you know, racism, white supremacy, you know, misguided uh, I'm not going to criticize them too hard. All of them ain't a bunch of racists like Chris Kyle because we got some brothers and sisters in there too. And, and they have been brought in through the poverty draft because they can't get no money for college. So like me, all those years ago as a 20-year-old, you know, this is the only option left to us unless we want to go into debt like my sister did and still paying off, you know, student loans decades after you've gotten out of, out of school. So yeah. So yeah. But where are, where are they getting this money from? And why can't the United States mind his own business and stop sticking his nose in everybody's business? All right. I do think that, uh, we have, uh, one of the, um, scheduled guests on the line uh hold on real tight i'm gonna take a short station identification break and then when we come back we will change gears and talk about what is going on uh what is going on in uh baltimore right now we'll be right back you are tuned in to the black talk radio network for live programming schedules visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com
realize that individuals do not create rebellions, conditions do. Until they begin to address themselves to those conditions, rebellions will continue and they will escalate. They will escalate. Sometimes the question has been raised about why black men fight and have fought for this country. It is the black man's implacable will to be free that makes him fight for this country. And it is that same will that will make him fight this country, fight this country, fight this country. I want to address myself now to problems as they exist in the black community across America. And America cannot be considered as a stable and just society. But no stable and just society can mount a successful offensive against black youth who break a window and at the same time plead that it is powerless to protect black youth who are being murdered because they seek to make American democracy a reality, reality, reality. time a black church is bombed or burnt, that is violence in our streets. Each time a black body is found in the swamps of Mississippi and Alabama, that is violence in our land. Each time black white workers cannot be protected by the government, that is anarchy. Each time a police officer shoots and kills a black teenager, that is urban crime. You see, we recognize America for what it is the fourth right and we tell america to be on notice because if you are gonna play nazis black folks ain't gonna play jews ain't gonna play jews welcome back to black talk radio news with scotty reed i was about to say the live drive at five again but uh yeah we're changing our time slot uh area code four four three who do we got on the line Yes, this is uh, Davon Love from the Chicago. All right, greetings to you, brother uh, Davon. Uh, yes, Sister Amijo told me you would be joining us today, and you are the director of research and policy for Leaders of a Beautiful Struggle (LBS). And uh, so, welcome to the program. We're still waiting on Sister Amijo to join us. Uh, I'm gonna give her a call. I mean, excuse me, give her a quick blast. Let me see if I can get her. Uh, on the line. Maybe she's having problems uh, calling in, see if we can get her on. If you don't mind uh, bearing with me, bro. Yeah, no. Yeah, oh. no problem. No problem. I appreciate the invitation. Okay, okay. Let's see if we can get Sister Amija on. Let me pull her up. All right. I'm going to have to wait for her to call in. Um, The reason I contacted uh, Sister Amija, Sister Tawanda, who will be joining us later, let me just shoot her a quick message is because of this new proposal of, of legislation that's being put forth by the Baltimore mayor, uh, Stephanie Rollins Blake. Now she's proposing some measures that she says is going, okay, here we go. We got sister Mijo on now. We got you sis. Yes, I'm here. All right. Thank you for joining us. And again, we should be joined by Sister Tawanda, another Baltimore activist at about uh, 30 minutes after the hour. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to bring on uh, people who live in Baltimore and who have been combating uh, these issues, um, you know, not not um, 
to exclude any issues, but primarily, you know, this police violence uh, that affects many of our communities across this nation. And so, you know, Mayor Rawlings Blake is proposing this legislation that's going to toughen penalties for police conduct. Uh, one of those is to reclassify uh, police assaults from misdemeanors to felonies also talking about increasing the oversight of the police department. And she's finally uh, uh, talking about implementing these police body cams uh, for officers. So, um, Sister Meech, I want to go to you first because you've had an opportunity to review this legislation that's before, you know, the, Mer- the uh, Maryland uh, legislature right now. Can you give me your thoughts and assessments? Um, Scotty, is Davon on the line? Yes, he's with us. Okay. Okay. Um, I would just um, go ahead and defer to um, Davon, um, okay. and he'll he'll tell you about um, what what's happening with the legislative process. All right. Well, well, Davon, will you please uh, take that for us? Absolutely. So um, basically, what has happened is that there are a bunch of um, activists and organizers that were preparing for the general assembly before the legislature started so the um the legislation that we were prepared to put forward legislation to address law enforcement officer bill of rights fantasy review board um and what has happened is is that the mayor has put in a few pieces of legislation that many of us in the organizing activist community didn't foresee her putting in um and like you described the um the piece of legislation um House Bill uh, 363, and what it does is, that it, like you said, it reclassifies police conduct um, to a felony instead of a misdemeanor. What that does is that it allows the commissioner, it does a few things. It allows the commissioner to bypass the process um, of disciplinary action. Typically, officers, they can only be disciplined after the police trial board has heard um, their case. Um, but with this piece of legislation, it will allow the commissioner to be able to act more swiftly in disciplining officers that have engaged in misconduct. And it also affects their ability to get paid leave. You know, in a lot of instances where you have, um, you know, police brutality and, and they're being, and, and, you know, when they're indicted or even if there is some kind of investigation going on mm-hmm. and they're given leave, it's usually paid administrative leave. Right. The classification of a felony disqualifies them from getting paid administratively. So those are the few of the things that um, are part of what she's proposed. And surprisingly, these bills are useful. Now, the thing that I want your listeners to be clear about is that the legislation that will be filed by the end of this week um, by legislators like Delegate Joe P. Carter, um, you know, bills that are going to amend elements of the law enforcement officer bill of rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why that's important is because while the mayor's bills deal with, um, you know, how to deal with police misconduct when it happens um, and, you know, post the adjudication process, like when it's in, when it's in process of being dealt with the reforms that Delegate Carter is going to put in, these are things that help the community have more ability to hold law enforcement accountable. So for instance, so more police, I mean, excuse me, more community control of the police. Exactly, exactly. And so, for instance, if a law enforcement officer kills someone on line of duty, um, they get 10 days before they are required to make a formal statement. And so amending that allows, you know, gives, you know, the public the kind of information it needs 
to be able to hold them accountable. You know, another example is that there, there can't be concurrent investigations, so there can't be they, – they do an internal investigation first, um, but no outside investigation can happen until the internal investigation is run its course. Of course, you know, that allows the agency to, to distort the truth, given all that time being removed from an outside investigation. So these are the types of, you know, examples of the types of reforms that need to be made so the community has the kind of information it needs to hold them accountable. So while the mayor's stuff that was put in is good in the fact that I think it'd be helpful, I think it's important that we don't focus singularly, I'm talking about the organizer community, mm-hmm. focus singularly on the mayor's legislation because it's only one part of a larger puzzle that a bunch of organizers have been working on for months now. Right. And, Devon, don't you think that, like, this is, you know, her way of parroting or trying to co-op or derail in any kind of a way? Well, I mean, so it's actually fascinating what the mayor is doing because, you know, she's never spoken up on any of these kinds of issues while being in elected office. And she's been in an elected office since 1995 as city council person, then as city council president, uh, but now as mayor. Um, and it wasn't really until um, Ferguson, and, you know, I think when you think about the Democratic Party and you think about what it perceives to be its constituents, you know, I think that because of the, all the, the attention that police brutality is getting, for the first time, I think, ever, and I've talked to people who, you know, investigate reporters who, you know, in the past reported on issues with police violence, this is the most that elected officials have ever been willing, no matter what party affiliation, have been willing to speak up on on the issue of police brutality. And so I see the mayor's move to put these, bill in, these bills in as just another example of that. You know, the Democratic Party is moving to a place where it sees that it's in its interest to address these issues. Um, and so the mayor is just trying to follow suit. So I think, you know, the basis of Amijo's question you know, what's the purpose? Why is the mayor doing this? I think it's important that folks that have not been consistent in addressing this issues in their political career, it's important for those of us who are organizing and those who are in the media to make sure that we don't give credence, we don't we don't allow a person like the mayor of Baltimore, Becky Rollins Blake, to recast herself as something that she has never right, demonstrated right, her right. commitment to. Right. And and um, see that's why um, if I if I could interject here, that's why I wanted to invite Sister Amijo, Sister Tawanda, and and Sister Amijo. You know, uh, notified me that you know you were a person to talk to as a uh, activist in the community. But I wanted to bring y'all on as I discussed this story because I feel like if it was not for the hard work of the people like you all out there in the streets and and making these demands that. She wouldn't have done nothing or, or, you know, none of the uh, politicians that are saying the right things and introducing this legislation or introducing that legislation. They would not be doing anything. They will be going along with status quo if it was not for the protests that we see going on, not in only in the city of Baltimore, but all over the country. So for those people, you know, those people who have been in the mainstream media criticizing protesters and saying they don't know what they're doing and and they don't know how the process works and they don't you know they should come watch Selma so they could see how it's done that this right here is just evidence that what you guys and people across the nation like you are doing is having an impact 
Thoughts? Hey, Vaughn, are you there? Yeah, Did man, we lose him, Scotty? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm there. I ain't going to hog the mic. But, um, no, I'll ask yeah, for your I, thoughts. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think uh, your point is absolutely, excuse me, I think your point is absolutely valid. I think, um, you know, when you think about most, pe- most people's understanding of activism and, you know, changing um, policies that affect our people, most people's understanding of that um, is that it's all supposed to happen within, you know, the game of politics, the way people typically play it. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing, you know, a different brand of politics where people are expanding the possibilities of what will make a difference and we're yielding the, the returns of that, you know. And so, you know, like to your point, you know, it, you know what, what the mayor's doing is a testament to the effectiveness of organizing and the variety of different pressure that's being put on, um, you know, the Democratic, Democratic Party establishment um, to advocate for some of these reforms. You know, and I think, I mean, here's the interesting thing, is that a lot of the folks who are your traditional um, political, the people who are your traditional, you know, if you run for camp, you know, for elected office, they're your super voters. These are people that, you know, faithfully vote to themselves as politically esteemed. One of the things that we're seeing is those are typically the folks that are telling people all oh, these demonstrations aren't a big deal, they're not a fact of their waste of time. Um, and it just goes to show that the time where that kind of conventional political wisdom with the yield benefit is waiting. You know, we're coming to a new time for this, um, where the old stuff that people are used to doing to maintain power is slowly um, becoming obsolete. Uh, before we go to this caller, Sister Mijo, did you have any comments? Yeah, I just wanted to um, say that I was actually involved in helping to create the Civilian Review Board uh, more than 15 years ago. And, you know, our originally what we wanted uh, was watered down by um, the local politicians with the support, of course, of the, um, uh, the paternal order of police. So... I guess one of the things that I've seen recently is a couple of tweets from um, FOP and the police. Um, one of the comments was, um, you know, you don't want to go to war, you know, with your police, you know, wow. uh, something about, you know, making peace with criminals. And that's just the, you know, sour behavior of, you know, the police here. And, uh, you know, just indicative of, you know, po- the police across the country and even how, you know, they treated the mayor and um, de Blasio in New York when they turned their backs on him. Yeah, um, didn't New York NYPD also, didn't NYP also use similar language talking about going to war with the people they're supposed right. to be serving, but we know the system don't work like that. And that's why, you know, you are engaged in the um, work that you have been engaged in all these years. But I mean, I would take that as a threat. Right. Let's, um, let's take this call. We got a, a caller who has a question or a comment, uh, area code two, six, seven. Uh, please go ahead with your question or your comment. Yes. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, if you could just speak up just a little bit. Okay, all right. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
And uh, I'm on, uh, and we have the same problem here too. But what we're doing here in Philly is, is that the FOP has a has a a practice in all police departments called uh, the code of silence, and that's what the bad cops are using on the good cops from the top cop on down because it's, they. You know, if I'm a cop and I see you do something wrong, there's nothing on the books that I can use so that I can turn you in without being retaliated against or murdered or, or kicked off the force. And that's what these few bad cops are using. They're using the code of silence, which is in the brotherhood of the FOP. And we and we plan to go after the police commissioner, the DA, and the FOP for supporting the code of silence. And we asked them a question straight out. If you took an oath to protect and serve the public, how can you have allegiance to a practice of, of, of how can you have allegiance to the code of silence? That's a gangland. Let, let's call it what it is. It's a no snitching rule. Let's use their language, okay? It's no okay. snitching. It's a gang. Yes. It's well, a gang see, that's mentality. Basically, yes, that's how, they're, that's how they're operating on it. And if we don't put a stop to that code, to that practice that they have, it's going to mess up all the good cops. Now, here in Philly, we support good cops, black, green, yellow, purple. We don't care what color they are so that we can weed out these bad cops uh, and, and, and make the top cop put something on the table that will go to a federal level for investigation instead of the police policing the police as you already laid out. And two, uh, when, a, when a police officer get, get fired from the force, he should get a dishonorable discharge so that he can't go cross town and get a job as a police on the other side of town. He should be done with police work for the rest of his life. Then that way we can keep the bad cops off the, the, the police force mm -hmm. and at the same time put pressure on the police commissioner, the DA who don't prosecute cops because all that is the same and the uh, FOP that that supports this blue code of silence, which is not a law, but it's a practice right. amongst them. All right. And our tax and our tax money did not go. You know, our tax money is not allowed to be used for a mafia or some type of, uh, I mean, uh, mafia police force or apartheid because that's this is the way apartheid got started. Right. It well, started little by little. And then next thing you know, it was too late to stop it. So I, I want to thank you for taking my call, and I'm going to get back on the horn and listen. All right. Thank you for your uh, comments. All right. Um, let me just address some some of the things that um, he's – Q&A is clear cleared. All right. Um, some of the things that, that he said, you know, mafia. I mean, it is actually organized crime, if you ask me. You know, and so, you know, in the context of some of the things that he said, look, brother, I, I want to respectfully disagree uh, when you say that, you know, it's just a few bad apples. 
Um, this is a hundred years old organization. Uh, the departments, police departments go all the way back to the 1600s coming out of the slave patrols and their jobs, um, have always been the same in, in their relations with black communities. They have never been there to serve the black community, but simply to keep us under control, keep us on a plantation, keep us in a community, keep us you know, now um, um, being fed into the modern slave system. And so I say, you know, while a cop may not be out there beating people up, may not be out there gunning people down, um, you know, if they are arresting people for unjust, unconstitutional laws, like for nonviolent drug offenses, which 80 percent of the uh, uh, prison population of America is 80 percent nonviolent victimless crimes simply to feed the prison plantation slave system, then, you know, that's not a good cop. That's not a good cop if he's carrying out a un- if he's part of an unjust system. You know, there are there are good cops that I have seen, if we want to use that word, good cops who have stood up. And we saw that in Baltimore. We saw it with a detective who saw two cops uh, beating up a man who was handcuffed and he testified against them. And then the FOP, his so-called fellow officers started terrorizing him to the point that he felt unsafe and he quit. And and when he quit, he gave a st- statement basically calling out the police commissioner saying that, you know, you've been saying all this good stuff about, you know, supporting cops when they come forward to report corruption, but you didn't support me. And so I hope going forward that you will support those those who come forward. Y'all got any thoughts on that? No, I'll yeah. just say, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, go ahead, Dave. You know, I, I was just going to say that's, that's a good example of, you know, the problem, you know, because I think, I think, you know, people grow up and are socialized differently. And there's a bunch of stuff that those of us that see ourselves are kind of know, and other people that don't understand themselves not just don't know history and law enforcement and what it does. And so, you know, disagreeing and having a conversation, that's cool. The problem is that the law enforcement is opposed to even having the conversation. Yeah, brother David, uh, let me let me interrupt you just a second. Let me interrupt you a second. There's a lot of background noise on your line, and so it's hard for us to set, to actually hear what you're saying. So if you could speak okay. up a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that better? Yes, that's better. Yeah. Now I was saying, you know, it's, you know, different people have different backgrounds and have different experiences. So, you know, I think the thing that is acceptable is it's okay for people to have different viewpoints on, you know, what the role of police is. A lot of people don't know the history, you know, but I think the part that is problematic is that, you know, a lot of the law enforcement agencies and institutions are unwilling to even have the conversation. Right. Like they're unwilling to even entertain the idea that there are practices they participate in that undermine the quality of life of the community. You know, and that's the part that I think is the most disturbing. And what it does is that it helps it further makes our point. You know, the more they resist the idea of being accountable, the more you gotta wonder what is it that they're so afraid of that would make them not want to be held accountable. Sister Meadjel? I just wanted to um, feedback on some of the stuff that you said and Nicola said. Um, I personally, you know, don't feed into the theory of the bad apples in the bunch. 
And um, there's been a lot of discussion recently about um, the broken windows theory and recently in New York with the police officers um, being shot and the fact that many of them went on, I guess you want to call it like, you know, a little strike Mm -hmm. um, and refusing to, you know, do their job. Um, You know, it just set a prime example of, you know, what you were just saying, them, you know, arresting people, you know, for, for, for petty, uh, for petty things and, and nonviolent offenders. And it just really showed how much, you know, we really like don't need them. Um, because I mean, I'm, I'm an abolitionist and, and I'm for community control and uh, decentralization and uh, eliminating police departments, but I know not everybody is willing to, uh, go that far. Um, so that's just, you know, a prime example of, uh, you know, them, us not, you know, needing them and their contributing factors to, you know, um, beating and uh, killing people and uh, also wasting taxpayers' dollars. Here in Baltimore, um, the city has paid out more than $6 million in the last few years. You know, can't imagine what $6 million of taxpayers' money would do for our schools and educating our children and doing things um, and putting that money back into the community. But, no, we're we're having to, you know, sacrifice taxpayers' dollars to, you know, pay for um, damages and, you know, uh, just the families being traumatized um, at the same time. And, um, you know, it's just it's got to change. Most definitely it's got to change, but I mean, and they are resistant to that change because let's, let's, you know, let's just be straightforward and honest. It's a sweet job. It's a sweet setup. And I think we're being joined by Sister Tawanda. Sister Tawanda, do we have you on the line? Yes, you do. I'm on my call. Yep. Okay. Thank you for joining us. Um, it, you know, we know you just getting off work and everything. And so, you know, we appreciate you taking the time to call in and talk about this important issue. Um, we got, we got, um, Sister Amijo, of course, is on the line. And, and, um, I'm, I'm sorry. What's the brother's name? Brother Dave? Dave. Wow. Well, yes. How you doing, Dave? How you doing, Amijo? Dave. Yeah. Doing? Yeah, we got Brother Davon on the line as well, and we just had a caller who called in who shared, you know, some interesting commentary about what they're dealing with up there in Philadelphia, you know, with the um what they call the blue line, wall of silence, but it's, you know, I call it the no snitching rule, and, you know, acting like a mafia, acting like a gang, and um so we just been, you know, going back and forth, but I want to get your thoughts on have you had an opportunity to look at this legislation that uh the mayor of Baltimore is proposing? Well, I haven't got a chance to look at it, but I just know what we're doing. I've been seeing like different little articles in the newspaper, but I'm not really that fussed about it because I feel like it's not genuine. And my thing is, she know what we have been doing, and um, I've been in like um corresponding with like different groups like Davon Love who the um he, he has his coalition going on and he's been like preparing us to go to Annapolis and things like that, as well as a, a, a different amount of group of people that we all, you know, have like minds and we just come together to share and to trying to change these police officers' bill of rights and the first day of session basically on Dr. Martin Luther King um 
you know, birth, or not, you know, his birthday, we all went out, we took a bus, and we all went up to on the maps, and that was really powerful, and we did, like, interviews on the news, and I'm quite sure the mayor saw it and whatnot, so now it's just like every time, you know, we do something, it's like she want to go ahead and do it, like, to pretend that she cares about the community, because my thing is, something should have been done a long time ago, something should have been done 611 days ago before my brother was brutally murdered, and way a long time before that, you know, if she really wanted to do something and help us, you know, and it's, it's about saving a life, why, why, you know, why not this stuff, though? When we sat there and we met with um, the mayor, and we told her everything that happened to my brother, as well as Anthony Anderson, as well as we had the victim, Abdul Salam, who now is like a brother to me, you know, we had him there with and sat with the man in her face after she ducked us out for months before she met with us. And finally she met with us and gave us these false promises and nothing happened. We're still waiting for her to do something. So I feel as though if she's really sincere and genuine, please do it because they need to crack down. They also need to get these officers drug tested and evaluated. That's just my personal opinion and how I feel about the whole thing. And right now, like I said, along with um, uh, Mr. Davon Love and um, Brother Faraji and um, different leaders that like, you know, um, Brother He, Pastor Hebrew Brown III, we all been gathering, gathering together, working on these officer bill of rights, along with the warrior lawyer. You know, God is good because I have a, a good amount of people that's, that we're all connected and we all have the same mind frame because enough's enough. We're not taking it anymore. Yeah. We're not taking it anymore at all. It's good It's good to see the people uniting um, yeah. up there and working um, together because uh, a lot of times we, we see, you know, movements can be derailed when egos get involved and I want to be the leader or I want to be the face or this or that or, you know, we let these pacifist agents, you know, infiltrate our groups and, and then they try to destroy us from within. I mean, we certainly seen that over the history so I, I just, you know, again I wanted to bring on, you know, people from Baltimore because I've been paying attention. Of course, you know, Sister Amelia Joe, I worked with her doing political prisoner radio, so I know, you know, about her hard work up there in Baltimore for a long time. Yeah. Also, brother Christopher Irvin, who couldn't join yeah. us today because he's at the Capitol, uh, doing, you know, putting in work on behalf of the people. And, and, and I'm glad, like I said, to come into different people like Sister Meadie, brother Christopher, like, I love them so much. They have been there with the West family as well as the rest of the families that in Baltimore City that's facing police brutality in this ugly, you know, scene. And they have been fighting and we've been all standing together in unity. And that's what we had not seen. They wasn't prepared for us to have unity in our community. And we're standing together and we're standing strong and we're standing firm together with the same voice echoing. We won't take it anymore. Well, this is, this is, you know, I was speaking to Brother Davon, um, and, uh, Sister Amidio earlier. Um, but again, the reason I wanted to bring y'all on is when I saw this news report come out of, uh, Baltimore, it didn't mention any of the work of the activists that have been out there demanding these reforms. It was like, you know, the way the article was written, it was like, she just came up with this on her own and, and this is what she's proposing. And so, like I had said to them, you know, we've had a lot, I'm not going to say a lot of people, but we've had some people in mainstream media 
criticized the demonstrations and the protesters all across the nation and saying, you know, y'all didn't know what y'all was doing. And, and you know, so you, you just don't understand how the system works and things of that nature. And that you'll never see nothing. But like I told Brother Devon and Sister Amigo, I see this this proposal or these three proposals coming from her, you know, as evidence of y'all hard work and y'all exactly. effectiveness in, in pressuring them to do something. Exactly. So I want to commend all of, you know, the people in Baltimore who have been engaged in these issues. So do you see this as, you know, even though we know what's really going on, but do you see this as a small, you know, success or evidence that what you're doing is working? I see it as evidence that what we are doing as a whole, we, you know what I mean, what we are doing is working. I'm not saying what she's doing in mind. Well, she, some people just do things for the cameras. We do stuff when the cameras are not looking. We've been on the battlefield since this tragedy happened here in Baltimore City with my brother Tyrone West. You understand me? So when the cameras are not rolling and they're not around, that's when integrity kicks in. You know, anybody can be anybody they want to be as long as they got some light flashing in their face. They can talk, educated, they can have this different, you know, thing about them. But the way you really are is when the cameras is not rolling. So I'm not impressed by none of that foolishness because I feel like, and the reason why I say foolish is because when we first, the man in the actual body cam, she was totally different and she still sounded like she against it. But now she's saying, oh, well, we did, it's a right way and a wrong way. We got to do it this way. It's like every time we do something, she wants to intervene or, or, or try to own it. And it's, it's just not right. It's even, it's not even about ownership. It's about responsibility and accountability. Holding these officers accountable. That's all it's about. It ain't about who did what, who did what. As long as it's over life, I wouldn't care. If she was serious about it, I'd be like, yes, I vote her back in. You know what I'm saying? Her time is almost out. You know? And could this be a change of heart because we're approaching 2016? Could this be a change of heart? It's ridiculous. Like, nobody deserves to be brutally murdered. And when we first got involved and we got the fans to um, come in and investigate, and I'm still waiting to hear from them. But no sooner than I get an interview with the um, Department of Justice and the FBI, then that same week she comes on and announced that she got in contact and tried to water it down. She wanted to bring them down, but she wanted to bring them down to uh, do administrative issues. But these guys need to be held accountable to the law. You know, if I chose to buy, they're going to arrest me. They need to be held to the highest standard like we as citizens are held. It's not fair and it's not right. So I hope that this is the right way and the right way working. And I'm just praying that her heart is really sincere now because everybody, you know, can have a change of heart. So I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, and I'm just praying that maybe she sees finally her, her closed eyes are open now to the fact that we're dying here in Baltimore City. We've been Ferguson. We've been Ferguson. It's sad that she didn't see it when 11 and 15 men and women uh, brutally beat my brother to death. They didn't shoot him. They brutally beat one unarmed man. She didn't see it when Anthony Anderson was tossing the kid in front of his mother. She didn't do nothing. She didn't speak upon it. You never heard about it. You heard about Anthony Anderson a couple times and no more. And this man was brutally murdered in front of his family. You never heard about Abdul Salam. Had we wouldn't have been out there protesting, nobody probably would have never even knew who Abdul Salam is. You understand me? But she needs to stop trying to keep the lives and take it serious because I feel some type of way. 
Well, I want I want to thank you um, all for coming on, and I just want to quickly go um, around the table as we're running out of time, and and I have some other segments I need to cover, but um, I want to give you all a, a opportunity to tell the listeners whatever it is you want to tell them in closing, and also give them you know your contact information and how they can support the work that you're doing, the great work that you're doing in Baltimore on behalf of the people, uh, sister. Mijo, I'm going to start with you. Um, I just wanted to thank um, Davon and Tawanda uh, for coming on and uh, for anyone that is listening specifically, um, if you're in the Baltimore area, um, to contact um, Davon and Leaves of a Beautiful Struggle. Um, I just wanted to pass the mic over to Davon. Brother Davon? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really appreciate the invitation to be on. Um, in terms of we, you know, could use from folks to help with the assets that we're working on, um, our website is lbsbaltimore.com, and on it there's um, a place where people can sign up to get our email blast. We're trying to recruit people to help us do phone banking so that we can catch a team of folks calling the legislators that we need to pass some of them we're trying to get through. Um, so that's going to be really helpful for folks just go on our website and up that. Um, and also for those that are in the Baltimore area, um, or even if you're in the state of Maryland, um, it's going to be very important that people show up to the hearings and support, um, the legislation that we're going to be putting forward. So again, if you just go on our email blast, um, people up to date on the legislative items that are up, um, and people helping to support those, um, those efforts. I'm definitely um going to when I post the podcast make sure that those links um for uh, um the uh, beautiful struggle the LBS is up. Um I got the link sister Amija sent it to me. I'm also going to post it on Facebook and send it out through Twitter and I want to thank you for coming on. Sister Tawanda, you got any final thoughts and and you know how yeah. can people connect with you? Yeah, so I, first of all I want to thank you brother Scotty for having us on and all your venues, you know able to be heard out in the communities and whatnot. So I want to thank you first, and I want to thank Sister Meezy. I want to thank Dave on Love and all the people of Beautiful Black Struggle. I want to just thank everybody. Christopher, I want to thank, I want to just thank everybody, you know, for just being there and whatnot. And, you know, and if they want to get in contact with me, they can follow. We have a page set up for my brother. It's Justice for Tyrone West. It's on Facebook. And we also, they can follow up on Baltimore BLOC, YouTube Baltimore BLOC, or like us on Facebook because Baltimore Black has been in total support of the West Family and the West Coalition. And um, if you want to, um, you know, hit me up personally, my email is M-S-I, I'm sorry, M-I-S-S-T-A-W-A-N-D-A, number 17, at com. And thank you guys so much. All right. Thank, thank you all. And we certainly, you know, of course, I talk to Sister Mija all the time and, um, Brother Christopher. And definitely y'all know there's an open door policy on Black Talk Radio Network anytime, you know, you all want to come back or need me to put information out to the people. So thank you all and, and, and continue to struggle. Um, as, as the, uh, old school revolutionaries say, you know, dare to struggle, dare to win. Peace and blessings to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
All right. Um, so uh, that concludes uh, that particular segment. And um, I'm going to take a short break. And then when I come back, let me uh, check my schedule. Uh, let me see what I got on tap. I've already talked about Congress. I don't really know what's going on in Haiti right now. I didn't have an opportunity to, to put in a lot of research, but it has to do with gas prices, soaring gas prices. Now think about that. Gas prices are at all time lows here in America. Why are they going up so high in Haiti? And Haiti really, really needs um, a lot of attention. Um, ever since the Haitian Revolution and they overthrew, you know, the, uh, French white supremacists that had enslaved them, um, the Western world has been punishing them ever since. And it's just, you know, terrible. Um, we talked about on New Abolitionist Radio how the GEO group, the second largest private prison in slavery in the world, is talking about creating jobs in Haiti by, you know, having Haitians enslave other Haitians. And they're setting up a private prison there. So Haiti really needs a lot of attention right now. I have linked um, to the report on that, but it didn't give a lot of information. It's mostly just video, but thousands have taken, uh, to the streets in Haiti, um, to protest these gas prices and, and what's going on. Uh, so when I come back, I want to jump on, uh, Mobile Alabama, um, and affirmative action. And then, um, if I have time, I might say this for tomorrow because I want to give it, I want to give it more than the time that I have left, but I'll, briefly touch upon it but i'm gonna try to give cut Farrah williams some slack um he is the victim in this particular incident of them comparing him to a monkey um also his commentary on ferguson that i came across came across was right on point and i understand that during the grammys his grammys performance last night that they did like a hands up don't shoot you know, uh, uh, made that part of their routine, even though, you know, I don't agree with that, that, um, imagery because hands up means I'm giving up and we uh, should not be giving up, but I understand the sentiment behind it. So, but at least he is still, you know, consciously aware of this struggle that's going on. And he made that part of that struggle. Unfortunately, what's getting the most attention is, you know, which probably, which probably was on purpose. Oh, let me tweet out this racist photo of comparing Pharaoh Williams to a monkey. And then nobody will really focus on his little demonstration, you know, against police violence and brutality and showing solidarity with the protester. I'm telling you, man, these people slick, man. They've been at it for a long time. So yeah, we'll take a break. Um, I don't have a program coming on after me. So if I have to go on, um, I'll go a little bit over. I'll do that. Um, I'm still working with brother David to, um, you know, get the technology down, get him trained. Um, and so they were hoping to start today. Um, but they ran into some issues. So, you know, they won't be on today. And, um, so yeah, if I have to go over, I'll go over. Um, cause I do want to share that commentary on, uh, Pharaoh. All right. So I'm going to take a, a break and then when I'll come back. I will jump into the rest of the news. Again, if you have any views that you would like to share on anything that we've talked about, uh, anything I'm going to talk about, you can give us a call at 530-881-1400. The access code is 549-032-POUND. Um, for those that are already dialed into the conference line, just hit star six in the number one, and that will uh, buzz me, your host. All right. We'll be right back.
I don't worry. I tell you, I'm a man who believed that I died 20 years ago. And I live like a man who's dead already. I have no fear. We have to begin to move to control our community. Everything that's in your community that you don't control is a weapon against you. Public education as it exists today is a weapon against black people. TV and news media, especially the WPP, White Power Press, White People's Paper, and White People's Power are enemies against black people. Now, what the white press does is that it makes black people an enemy of black people. See, that's, I mean, that's another thing. When you talk about a revolution, most people think violence. Um, without realizing that the real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for, not in the way you reach them. On the other hand, uh, because of the way this society is organized because of the violence that exists on the surface everywhere, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. You have to expect things like that as reactions. If you are a black person and live in, 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 in the black community all your life and walk out on the street every day seeing white policemen surrounding you, I... When I was living in Los Angeles, for instance, long before the situation in L.A. ever occurred, uh, I was constantly stopped. No, the, the police didn't know who I, who I was, but I was a black woman. And I had, had a natural, and, and they, I suppose, thought that I might be a, quote, militant. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, uh, uh, and, in, and then you ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. May appear a confusing blur of activity, each ant doing its own thing, but it can't be. Somehow the ants coordinate their actions so that large insects are overwhelmed, killed, and carried back to the base. Pairs is dying, and my people are suffering. The money's still low, you should see how they budgeting. Watch what comes out your mouth. People are suffering. It's elementary, they want to smoke on eventually. Pairs is dying, people are suffering. The money's still low, you should see how they budgeting. Pairs is dying, and my people are suffering. Because the money's still low, they want to smoke on eventually. What a guy living in this economy is like a robbery. The government taxing me when they owe me for my property. This is Brother Elliot. Most of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back to Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed. I'm in on this mic from behind these enemy lines. That was the wrath of Siafu uh, that you heard by the FTP movement. Brother uh, Kalonji Changa um, put together those uh, hip-hop artists to put out that, that song or that rap track there. I really dig that track. Uh, shout out to uh, those people involved in that project. Um you just heard uh, Brother Elliot on that promo for the station identification. He holds Time for Awakening Radio 
on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. They had a great program, and the podcast has been posted, so you definitely need to check that out. Uh, the title of the program was The History of Rebellion by African People Against European Domination. And they had on um, Dr. Runuku Rashidi, a uh, world-renowned um, historian on black struggle, on black history, traveled all around the world. I listened to that program uh, last night, you know, uh, because uh, right before we came on air with Political Prisoner Radio, it was a great program. He shared a lot of great information. And so if you get an opportunity, uh, make sure you check out that podcast. Uh, that's time for an awakening. Uh, the title was The History of Rebellion by African People Against European Domination. Now, I want to change gears and uh, jump to uh, Mobile, Alabama, uh, where you had a councilman. His name is Fred Richardson, and he took this this um, this mobile based, you know, it's based there in the city of Mobile, Alabama, uh, environmental services company to task for the racial makeup of its payroll. And the name of this uh, company is Payne Environmental Services, Storm, which uh, provides stormwater management services. And they have a contract with Mobile, Alabama, that totals slightly more than $336,000. Uh, and so uh, Councilman Fred Richardson, um, they were having like a city council meeting and about renewing these contracts with, you know, these uh, different companies and they have to be approved by the mobile city council. Um, and so anyway, he took them to task about the racial makeup of, you know, their employees. Now, they have gotten this contract under affirmative action. Right. But the company is in the name. I don't know if she's really running it or if she is, you know, uh, just a front for her husband or her brothers or, or some other white male. Uh, but this is, this has been going on for a long time and a lot of conservatives don't like to talk about it. In fact, they won't talk about the fact that white women are benefiting the most under affirmative action. When they want to talk about quotas and stuff like that, they are, you know, for hiring practices. Oh, they come out all against it. You know what I'm saying? But the fact is, is that white women are the ones who are most benefiting from uh, affirmative action. Now, when you're talking about quotas for stopping and frisking black males, oh, conservatives don't ever say nothing about that. And not that I'm picking on conservatives uh, because, you know, I don't play that partisan political game, but they are the most outspoken against affirmative action and quota systems. But when it comes to quota systems to stop and frisk black people and other non-white people to make them victims of this system and put them in the 21st century slavery and human trafficking oh they are all for those quotas so anyway this company pain environmental was uh, founded in 1999 it is a certified woman-owned small business but councilman uh, fred richardson said the status does not satisfy for him the company's qualifications to pursue contracts with the city because the absence of black employees does not make it representative of the city's population. Now, 
Richardson's comments, and it's coming from AL.com, AL.com. Richardson's comments come two weeks after the creation of a citizens advisory committee on contracting opportunities for small business and minority owned firms and the launch of the city's first concentrated supplier diversity program. Now the pain environmental uh, representative, you know, came out and said the company is currently hiring and was visibly uh, baffled by the suggestion the woman-owned small business would not meet specifications established by the city's new program. See, this is the game that they play. This is the game that they play. You know, again, white women benefit the most from affirmative action. Like I stated, I used to work for, uh, it was, I think it was called Linda Construction Company, uh, LLC, which is based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, um, it was in the name of a white woman, in the name of a white woman, but her husband was the one who was running everything. And so this is the trick that they play. These are the games that they play is they will put the name of the company, you know, under the name of their wife as the CEO and things of that nature. And then they go and get these, uh, contracts that are, you know, affirmative action based to make sure that we're spreading the wealth, you know, and making sure that minorities are given an opportunity to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, uh, so to speak. And this is what, this is what's happening is that then, you know, they don't even hire black people, you know, or, or the makeup of their workforce isn't reflective of the community that they're doing work out of. And so this is the game uh, that they play. You know, this is a counter strategy to the strategy of affirmative action meant to help, you know, uh, uh, people who have been uh, traditionally oppressed in this country. Now, certainly women have been oppressed in this country, you know, but, you know, for people that want to act like white women is still being oppressed in this country. Um, you know, I, I would have to beg to differ with you. Yeah. I mean, I know they're victims of domestic violence and things of that nature, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is access to higher education. We know this white female student, uh, sued the university of Michigan. Then there was another one at another university. These were white women who were angry because they couldn't get into the school. And so they want to uh, sue the school and say, oh, you know, if you hadn't let these niggas in, you know, then I would be able to go to school here where I want to go to school, you know, but they never sue them on the basis of what they call, um, set aside for alumni, you know, affirmative action for, uh, uh, the, the children of past alumnus. No, they don't go after that. No, they go after, you know, the black people who were lucky enough or however you want to phrase that unlucky enough to get accepted into these uh white supremacist institutions of so-called higher learning uh and whatnot. And, and so this is, a you know, it was good. It was great to see this this black man, this city council member uh, use the power of his position to stand up for black people and to call these people out on this tactic of white supremacy and claiming that white women is a persecuted group. So yeah, well, they qualify under affirmative action, but then these white women, all right, uh, they belong to this quote unquote oppressed group. Um, then all they hire is other white people and they practice racism and they practice oppression. 
So, you know, big shout out to, uh, Councilman Fred Richardson. I will follow this story. I will put out a Google alert so I can see, uh, how this goes. Now he did give him one year, said he gave him one year, uh, to, um, to hire, you know, more, uh, quote unquote minorities. And, and he's right on point. He's right on point. You know, let's not play these games anymore. Let's just be straight up and tell people what's really going on. All right, so uh, the last story that I want to jump on uh, right quick, you may have seen this. I posted it to my Facebook profile. Uh, Anti-Racism Media had posted it, and I shared it from their Facebook page. And this guy named Zach Brafe, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, uh, he's one of the uh, stars of the long-running sitcom uh, called Scrubs. Um, and so anyway, he had tweeted a photo which he said was sent to him on East Instagram. And so he felt it was so funny. Oh, I'm going to send it out over Twitter, you know, and he's talking about, you know, he was watching the Grammys and saying, this is his tweet. It says Grammys are time delayed in Los Angeles, but someone just sent me this. I wore it better. And they show Pharaoh uh, Williams, I guess he was dressed up in like a bellhop costume as part of his performance last night. And so they're going to tweet out the little uh, Wizard of Oz flying monkey who was also dressed up in a bellhop costume. And so, you know, people were rightly calling her out for the historic racism. Um, But they even also uh, asked the question of Pharaoh is, is he really, you know, aware of the history of blackface and bellhops? and you know jockeys and and things of that nature and so i don't want to make it about feral 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 needs to grow he needs to learn a little bit bit more about racism and white supremacy in media and study the history but i'm sure he did that was not in i can't say i'm sure but i should say i hope I hope that was not his intention and, and, you know, I didn't see the performance. I don't know how the fail, the bellhop costume fit into the little performance that they did. And, but I would hope that he would not do that. All right. And so I started thinking about, you know, his comments about, uh, new blacks and whatever. And I was like, okay, you know, this is an act of racism against him. And I wonder, you know, if he has any commentary about it, you know, which probably he probably won't say nothing, you know, which I'm not saying that he should say anything. Cause what is it going to solve? Race is going to be racist all day, every day, you know, and nothing he says is going to put a stop to it. Um, but, um, you know, I'm wondering if he's rethinking, you know, his commentary on what a new black is. And so um, I, I, I couldn't find a short clip without having to go through that hour long interview he gave with with uh, Oprah Winfrey about what a new black is. But I found a short clip of him um, further talking about it and explaining what his comments meant. So I'm going to go ahead and, and cue that up. Uh, give me just a second. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and listen to Pharaoh Williams on being a new black. You told Oprah Winfrey you're you're a new black, and I, I just wonder what you mean by that. Well, it was an, again a lot a lot of people have been wondering what you mean. Well, no, no, it's just a, if you're a new black. Well, no, I can't point to anybody else. The only thing I can tell you is, you know, my experience in being black is that like I love what I do, I love who I am, and I make no excuses for 
what I look like and and what that means to me. But I don't, you know, I don't, I, I'm not, I use my mind for um, my opportunities. I'm not looking for anyone's help because of my skin color. I don't see, you know, um, my skin color as uh, some affliction or uh, something that, that, that holds me back in the world. I, I am proud of my skin color. And uh, at the end of the day, anything that I do, um, I celebrate who I am and I celebrate what my mom and dad made. And that is a new way of looking at um, my life. But can I speak for the whole entire culture? No, I can't. All right, so that was him further trying to explain his new, his new, um, his commentary on Oprah Winfrey about being a new black where we don't see racism as an excuse to hold us back. And I can, I can understand where he's coming from. You know, uh, again, uh, act of racism is what caused me to create Black Talk Radio Network. When Blog Talk Radio practiced racism against me and suspended my show simply for being called Black Talk Radio and a bunch of white people were complaining and complaining about the things I talked about and the people I brought on and they suspended me for a week and then restored my account after two days um, after, you know, all the listeners complained to them about suspending my show, um, I decided right then and there, no, this will not happen again. You will not have this power over me, um, to ever take my voice away from me again. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out how you did, how you're doing this, how you are doing internet radio. And so I put my hacking skills to work. I put my background in, in computer programming and, and website design to work and figured out how they was doing it and, and discovered that Shoutcast was the backbone of that network and, and I needed to study how to use Shoutcast and the different software and stuff involved in that and create my own platform and then offer it to black people, you know, as a black-owned uh, platform, you know, and, and a safe place for us to come and speak about things in the way that we want to speak about them without somebody shutting us down because they don't approve white people don't approve of our language white people don't approve of who we bringing on so i thank blog talk radio for that act of racism because it motivated me to start my own platform now i can come on air anytime i get ready to all right and nobody can shut me down all right so i understand him in that respect of not hold letting other people hold you back when they throw up obstacles and things of that nature. But then at the same time, when we throw it back to the story about Alabama in affirmative action, you know what I'm saying? Then no, you, you can't, you can't say things like, you know, I'm not looking for any help, you know, cause certainly these white people would certainly taking every opportunity of help they can get from the federal government that they can get. All right. And they have practiced institutional racism against black people since the founding of this country, whether it goes to slavery, whether it goes to stealing, you know, inventions from the enslaved Africans and patenting them when it comes to Jim Crow, when it just just on and on and on and on and on. They owe reparations. And so the least they can do is make sure that we have a equal opportunity to get 
employment or to win city government contracts because let's not forget we pay taxes too black people pay taxes and other non-white people pay taxes and so you know we should be able to create businesses and get these uh, uh government contracts and so that's you know the minor point i would disagree with well i wouldn't say it, it's minor but that's the point i would disagree with him on is that it's not so much as you looking for help or you looking for hand handouts all right no you are working within the system on how the system is set up and then even then you see going back to the story of mobile alabama and how the white woman you know uh uh qualifies as a minority group and then she gets her business or her husband puts a business in her name and then they don't hire you know you know black people you know so so he's kind of he's kind of you know not getting it in that respect but he did qualify it by saying i can't speak speak for everybody but this is just how i feel all right so i was thinking like this dude is like really confused about racism he's like really confused about a lot of stuff and he's not really all that conscious but then as i continue to to um you know just look up some stuff on this guy I came across his CNN interview that he did with Don Lemon. Um, and man, y'all know what I've said about Don Lemon, proxy racist tool, a uh, white, uh, a uh, white supremacy media who will do and say anything, you know, attacking black people. And he even tried to manipulate Farrell and Farrell wasn't going for it in, in this commentary on Ferguson. And I was like, man, this is making me see Farrell in a whole new light. And so let me just go ahead and cue that up for you in case you didn't see it because I didn't see it because I try to limit my exposure to white supremacy media as much as possible, even though I have to because that's my job to report on the news and give you my analysis. But, you know, unless it's unless it's something that I think is important to us, then, you know, I, I, I will ignore it. I don't spend all day watching CNN, Fox News or any of that. I try to catch clips of it and things of that nature and, and then report on it from my perspective. But I was I was kind of impressed with um his um answers to Don Lemon's questions. So um I didn't see it when it came out. Maybe you did. Um if not, here it goes. I know that you are socially conscious. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would call you political, but you're definitely outspoken. Yeah, I don't like I'm not into politics. So what did you what I did have you, opinions. What did you think of Ferguson and what you saw going down there? Don Don Don. What did I think of Ferguson? Yeah. I'm disappointed. Because? Um, I'm disappointed in the way that, like, it was handled from a from the government side. Uh, I think that that officer should be punished because that was excessive force. Um, that was excessive force. You know, all those shots where those shots were. Uh, the idea that that child laid in the ground. He's a child. I know he's six two, six three, something like that, but he's a child, okay? And and that uh, he was laying in the ground for hours. That kid didn't ask to get killed, and 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 so I feel like that officer should be punished. But then, like at the same time, like we got to start looking at ourselves too, because we are feeling hunted, and we need to be able to avoid these things. And sometimes it's unavoidable. Did you see this whole, there's this whole Facebook campaign about, you're a gene designer, about pulling up your pants, like, don't give the, 
Don't give the man one more thing that, that ain't the to man. go after you. Who is the man? Who is the man to tell me how I can wear my pants? Mm -hmm. Can't nobody tell me how, how I can wear my pants. I'm a human being. So that's the thing. We need to, we, there, there's so many issues that keep being lump summed in the same issues. Wearing your jeans on your butt or, or, or below your waistline has nothing to do with being black. You know, many, you know how many white kids do that? Justin Bieber, they okay, all Okay, so then that's not a black or white thing. Hoodies are not a black or white thing. It's an excuse. So, so in certain places, yeah, we're being hunted. But there are good policemen, and there are bad policemen, and there are good kids, and there are bad kids. Regardless to what that child was, he did not deserve to be shot down like that. What do you mean? How do you avoid that? When, he, when they told him to get out of the road, he probably should have got out of the road. I wouldn't have been in the road to begin with, though. But look, let me make it very clear because people like to soundbite in this yes. day and age, right? This is the day and age of soundbiting. I love my culture, but I don't want I, I don't want my culture to want nothing from nobody else. I think we can do what we need to do ourselves. And the only thing is, I was disappointed that like while we had so much peace, peaceful pro, uh, protesting going on, what the what the media chose to cover most of all and and highlight was the random few people that threw Molotov cocktails, the random people that had guns on them, the random incidents where, uh, not random really, actually, motivated, but like some of the rioting that was going on, and some of the looting of the stores, and the looting of the stores in our own neighborhoods, I'm not telling you to do it nowhere else, but damn, why are you doing it in your own neighborhood? But see, I, I didn't get that neither. The cameras but, are drawn to where, where the action is. I completely agree with you, and there were, that's why we also focused on volunteers and people who were doing good things. Yeah, but we got we to gotta spend more time on the people that were doing non, that was non-violent pro, like protesting, which is allowed in this country. Agreed. We didn't spend enough time on that. That's so, why I feel like... All right, I'm going to um, uh, stop it there. And again, I mean, if I wanted to, I could nitpick and, and whatnot. Again, you know, like Malcolm X said, don't be so quick to condemn somebody that don't think as fast as you, that don't know what you know, uh, because there's one point in your life you didn't know what you know. And so we shouldn't condemn people, you know, whether they, when they say something that we don't agree with or we feel like it's incorrect or we know for a fact is incorrect but but i like the fact that he stood up he stood up for black people he stood up for black culture he stood up and, and made it a point to make look it ain't just black kids out here that's wearing their pants sagging and you know what does that have to do with this michael brown being gunned down they ain't got nothing to do with it you know, you don't see a bunch of white kids. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing what he said. And, uh, you know, uh, mainstream media, you only have so much time to spit out what you're spitting out. But I certainly uh, understood the message that he was saying. You know, what did, that don't have nothing to do with me walking down the street with my pants sagging. That's just an excuse y'all want to use to justify murdering, you know, black people and whatnot. So, I mean, that kind of, I didn't see that interview. And that kind of like point painted him in a different light to me that, oh, he's not just this mindless, uh, entertainer who has this very, very confused outlook about racism and white supremacy. Now, there are some things that he said that I would, you know, could disagree with. Um, but I like what he said though about telling people that they are being hunted, hunted down. All right. They're being hunted down. So 
he, I see where Don was trying to take it though. Like, like they're making themselves targets, but he's, that's not what his point was. And he further clarified that. And I'm glad he had an opportunity to by saying it's a fact that we being hunted down, right? So we need to start thinking about what do we need to do differently to protect ourselves. Now, you know, you can read into that what you want to read into it. You know, if I was to say, you know, well, what are some of those tactics? Well, yeah, uh, we need to start practicing armed self-defense. We need to start engaging in the things like our former guest that was on earlier, you know, and holding these police accountable and, and fighting for community control over our police, you know, and just, you know, making yourself aware that you live behind enemy lines. This is a war zone. So you should conduct yourself as if, you know, uh, the enemy soldiers are patrolling cause they certainly are. And you can be gunned down at any time. So you need to have your counter strategy, uh, uh, already in your mind of how you going to handle those situations. That's what I got from his comments. Not to say that that's exactly what he meant. Cause I'm not inside his head, but that's what I took from that is to conduct yourself like you live behind enemy lines in enemy territory and people are just hunting you down to gun you down. And there was nothing incorrect about that. Now, I do, I, I, I was happy to hear him say, though, about how we need to start doing our own. We need to start building up our own. I'm paraphrasing what he said, of course, but what I took from it is, is that black people not relying on anyone else to, for example, give us a radio show. When we can study, when we can buy the technology and we can produce our own independent uh, media platforms. Okay. And I love that from him. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, he's still a part of the system. He is certainly still part of the system. Um, somebody shared with me a video that he was in. It wasn't his song and, but it was a song talking about selling dope. All right. And again, mainstream corporations, music corporations, they control all that gangster rap and that misogynistic stuff. They want these artists to push that. All right. I have done interviews with artists who lost deals because they said I'm not pushing the garbage anymore. No, I'm a female. I'm not taking my clothes off and showing skin. You know, I'm going to stay my to my true self. And they lost record deals uh, for that. All right. And so, you know, Pharaoh was in there in this video where they talking about selling dope. And I pulled up his portion of the lyrics and it was kind of laced with some consciousness, but at the same time, it was kind of push. It was not kind of pushing, but pushing misogyny. All right. But then he was talking about the eye in the sky and saying he was talking about armed self-defense as well. And, and, and talking about these brothers ain't scared, you know, to come after you. And he was talking about how they got drones and stuff. And he was really talking about, if you read in between the lines, stepping up your self-defense game, you know, that's what I got from from it all right so again i could choose to focus simply on the negative where he's talking about doing naked yoga with 20 women or whatnot you know that's the that's the kind of stuff that they expect them to put out if they want to stay in the in the public eye but after you've reached a certain point of success when do these artists start pooling their money and building their own 
of record labels and setting up their own distribution points. Again, the internet and technology is changing things. So, you know, we have to quit using that excuse of if I want to get put on, I got to go through them. No, there are plenty of millionaires, people who have made a lot of money, black people, non-white people. And so they see what the system is about in the, in the area of entertainment and music. So they need to come up with, you know, their own, uh, distribution and their own companies where they control the music and not those, you know, non-black people that's pimping them. So, you know, again, I'm not criticizing him to the point be, because he may not be on thinking in the same way that I'm thinking. Cause like Malcolm X said, you know, don't condemn anybody, uh, simply because they are not thinking like you thinking as fast as you and don't know what you know. Cause you at one point didn't know what you know, but that did just change my whole perspective of the brother. And, and, and I was like, well, he's not just a total, you know, proxy races out there cooning for the, for these white folks that, you know, he, he actually has some consciousness about him. So yeah, he said what he said. I said what I said. All right. So, uh, that's the program. I will. Okay. Uh, we got callers, but nobody has any commentary. So I'm going to go ahead to, uh, get ready to wrap up the program. I will do my best to be on air on time tomorrow at four o'clock PM Eastern time. Uh, which is my new time slot. Let me pull up the calendar because we do have a guest scheduled uh, for tomorrow. She'll be joining us during the second hour. Let me just open up. Uh, I will be interviewing uh, Corinne Mack of the Charlotte NAACP um, to talk about this article um, that it was saying that she was going to start pushing gay rights and Hispanic rights and um so i had some email co- communication with her and she's saying that you know the writer of that particular article kind of misconstrued some of what she was saying and and so i just want to bring her on cuz she was just um i lived just outside of charlotte i knew the former president well i know the former president of the charlotte chapter of the NAACP uh, when I used to participate in organized religion, uh, he used to go to the church that we attended. Um, my mom knew him pretty well. And, you know, the way that he ran the NAACP was not particularly effective, not particularly effective. The website looked like a piece of crap. Uh, you contact them about certain issues. They never would get back to you. So, uh, he's been replaced now with Korean Mac and I've already seen they got a new website. You can get in touch with them. Um, I, I contacted them. Her, uh, secretary contacted me within hours and, and then forwarded my message to Mrs. Mac and, and she agreed to come on the program. So that's a drastic improvement right there. Just getting back to people when they contact you instead of never hearing, you know, back from them when you leave them a voicemail or you send them an email. Oh, they, you just act like, you know, you didn't get the message. So, uh, already that is a upgrade, uh, on the NAACP, uh, position of uh, president. So we're going to just bring her on to clarify some of the things that was mentioned in that article and talk about what is her direction for the uh, Charlotte branch of the NAACP. And I guess I'll also cover uh, some of the local things that have been happening in my neck of the woods. It would be 
uh, neglectful for me not to talk about what's going on in my neck of the woods. Like we had this 74 year old black veteran gunned down in his own house. Okay. In Gastonia. And I had just been saying how we in, in the uh, county that I live in, you know, it's been some years, decades, and I have never heard of these police acting off the chain like they're acting in these other places. And then next thing you know, here is this cop. I don't know what his ethnicity is or his racial classification. Um, I'm still trying to dig out some information and uh, uh, see what I can get from the Gastonia Police Department because that's the city police. But, yeah, they broke into this man's house doing a quote-unquote wellness check because his family members couldn't get in touch with him and he had just had surgery and see there you go you think you're calling the police to get some help and they end up coming to your home or going to your family members home and gunning them down you know and killing them and so yeah you know there's a lesson to be learned in that if he was that if you know i'm not trying to bash the family members but perhaps you know, you should came down here to Gastonia and checked on them yourself if you couldn't get in touch with them through the phone. Uh, because now I'm sure they are re- regretting, uh, which they have expressed, you know, calling the police, thinking we're going to get some help and they end up killing our family members. So I want to talk about that tomorrow as well. And the Gaston County NAACP, um, I can't even tell you who the president is. All right, that can just go to show you, you know, that they're not very visible. But I can't say that this county has a lot of the issues that I report on. You know, uh, we used to when I was coming up in high school and stuff like that. Um, you know, my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents and, and great grandparents, certainly we had to deal with these racist white people in the Ku Klux Klan. But since high school, I had to say things had calmed down you know, a little bit, and, and, you know, these people wouldn't mess with us, but now here we got to act of police violence and murder uh, happening, and I'm still trying to get the details, so I will definitely uh, talk about that uh, tomorrow. So, again, the new time is 4 to 6 p.m., um, and then hopefully the Thando radio show will be uh, airing for the first time um, tomorrow in the 6 o'clock time slot. All right, I'm going to close it out with some uh, Sada Shakur. This is Revolution is Love. Peace and blessings to all y'all. Be safe. Again, recognize that we live behind enemy lines in a war zone, and you're liable to become a casualty if you are not careful. Peace and blessings. This is the 21st century, and we need to redefine revolution. This planet needs people's revolution, a humanist revolution. Revolution is not about bloodshed or about going to the mountains and fighting. We'll fight if we are forced to. But the fundamental goal of revolution must be peace. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.